Hello, this is Nikki Toyamasito, Executive Director of Christians for Social Action, and your host for today's episode of 20 Minute Takes. Today I speak with Nia Campina Bakot. She's a community curator and collaborator, and she's the lead designer on the audio resource On Breath and Being. She talks to us about embodied faith, healing from racial trauma, and her journeys around the world. Join us for this conversation. Nia, thank you so much for joining us here on 20 Minute Takes. It's great to be here. First of all, because I know that you find your home in many different places, how would you describe the place that you most feel at home? Like, what are the characteristics of that place? Yes, this is a great question that in this current season of my life, I've been meditating on a lot lately, actually. And I'm an avid journaler. And so what's come up in my journal sessions as of late is for me, home is so much dependent on the people that I'm with. And so that means that home is where I feel held, but I can also feel as though I can fully hold other people as well. Think about the idea of like beholding someone and witnessing someone and being able to be witnessed as well. And so home for me is when I'm with people where I can laugh, I can cry, I can watch Marvel movies with, and I can also go on runs with. And so home is, yeah, so much related to the people and how we're able to hold space with and for and alongside one another. That's fantastic. And what are some of the geographies? the cities where you have um, found yourself laying your head at night, sort of calling home in the last, let's say, three or four years? Yes. So I would say most recently it had been New Haven, Connecticut. So that was home for about seven years. And I had all of those things that I was sharing about earlier and literally laying my head down on those pillows. And now home, home, home is some hostels and beds and sometimes pillows, sometimes no pillows in um, Cali, Colombia in South America. And I'm slowly finding those people to call home and community here. Fantastic. Well, we have so much appreciated your work with the um, On Breath and Being podcast and practice. Um, And I think one of the things that I've really appreciated is you're uniquely experienced in that you have this theological background as well as a very deep embodied practice. And I think sometimes that doesn't necessarily go very well together. Can you tell us a little bit why maybe within a Christian tradition, people sort of have more of a disembodied faith? Yes, yes. Thank you for that question. That's part of what drew me to to this work is Sometimes, at least in my experience, I was born and raised in the church, grew up Protestant, evangelical. And a lot of times I found it interesting that in the church right that I would uh, attend, we'd have a lot of embodiment in certain ways, such as very ecstatic praise and worship, where yelling, jumping up and down. While then also I felt like sometimes in the sermons or the theology that was preached, there would be a separation or a disconnection of 
don't just go with necessarily what you feel. Kind of don't listen to what your body feels. If you're not feeling a certain type of way, push through, you know, and kind of ignoring the signs and signals of our body. And I remember just kind of thinking, hmm, that's interesting. But as a child, you know, you do what you do what you're told. And I'm in little kids' church, big kids' church. Um, and then after a while, honestly, more specifically for me was through actual injuries that I had in my body. When I didn't listen to my body, let's say training for a marathon or going to the gym. And that's when for me, it started to click. And this was alongside when I was receiving my master's of divinity in divinity school of, oh my goodness, I think that there's actually a deep connection between divine, between God speaking in and through our bodies and how we connect with God and the world and others and community. And so I always found that interesting of sometimes the sermons or the theology that I would hear preached didn't line up with actually what I was physically experiencing. And, and then lastly, I'll just say then as I went to divinity school and learning more about, for example, the theology of like the carnation and reincarnation, it's so embodied. And when we think about communion, that's so embodied. And so just, really excited then to be able to take next steps to think about if I do believe that God cares about our physical bodies alongside everything else, then what could that look like and how I show up in the world and create spaces and experience healing. Mm, Oh, that's fantastic. I think as you brought up that example of actually was in the context of exercise and injuries, because I think you're right. That's one of the places that we're sort of told, listen to your body, you know, pay attention to pain, that sort of a thing. And that that was something that then you brought into kind of your spiritual practice. Um, I think uh, one of the things that has been very interesting to me is, um, like you, you did say, there are these theological concepts of incarnation, which really points us to an embodied Christian faith. Uh, and maybe using the word embodied as sort of like a faith that you touch and you feel like a, an actual, not like a theoretical or philosophical one, but actually yes. one that sort yes. of shows up in the world. Um, and at the same time, I think uh, that there is a way, like you said, that uh, even though the theology would sort of really push us to the everyday practice, I think maybe in the American context um, does tend to have this uh disembodied thing. What is wrong with a Christian faith? Or is is there any concern with a Christian faith that is sort of disconnected from the body? Yeah, I think, you know, as, after all of my years of schooling, I tend to shy away from right, like right or wrong. Mm-hmm. But I would say something that I'm hoping for more and more during these these years of my life is wanting to experience God more fully. And so I think that it's not necessarily right or wrong, but more a sense of, oh, I think there's actually a more profound, deeper, full, whole and holy experience Uh we can have with God and with others because God resides in others. And so when we're able to, to center ourselves and listen to our body and know that this is yet another channel, another resource that God is speaking and living through our physical bodies. And that also helps us not only connect more with God, but others and community. And so I think there's just, yeah, just an ever expanding, 
expanding uh, way to interact with God that the the embodied practices allow us to access. Oh, I love that. So there's really, it's just another channel, another avenue to fill out and make fuller that exactly, experience. But it's not like exactly. if you don't, you're right, not, exactly. you don't and have I wanna, a thing. Yeah, exactly. And I want to say that as well. Um, and I want to highlight that because particularly I was also trained trauma-informed. So I mm-hmm. want to also make space for individuals who have had embodied experiences that have been traumatic that actually make it difficult to access and access embodied practices. And so I want to, I just want to highlight that because sometimes it might not always be readily available because of past experiences. And so again, wanting to avoid necessarily, oh, it's wrong or right, or you're not going to, you know, have the best life possible if you can't do this because there are just inherent things that happen in our life that might not, uh, that just make it more difficult to access. Ah, fantastic. I th- I appreciate that nuance that, that you put there. Um, I think, uh, can you give us an example of how, and I know um, through the on breath and being, one of the ways that you guided uh, folks from a Christian t- tradition really is about this sort of integration of uh, breath and prayer. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of your own experience of what you feel has kind of opened up for you in your faith journey at this, uh, as you sort of pressed into some of these embodied practices? Yes. So what immediately comes to mind when you ask that question is a lot of shift happened for me in the pandemic. So, you know, COVID-19 hits and we're no longer able to physically attend churches and we're no longer able to physically be with people and be in a physical church. And so as I began to grow in these practices soon after becoming more trained in them, certified, it shifted my relationship with God and honestly, even the church in a way, because it helped me realize again, right? Like very tangibly that God resides in us. Mm-hmm. And so there began to be a shift of before I would feel really, um, what's the word I want to look for? Maybe anxious or even sometimes guilty if I wasn't able to access a church or be in a church. It just feels so off, put off, mm-hmm. off center. Mm-hmm. But realizing through these practices that, hey, if I'm in a place or I'm in a time where I can't access a physical church, I am with God and God is with me through my breath, through mm. the rise and fall of my chest, through eating ice cream with friends mm-hmm. six feet apart, you know? And so these practices <laughs> really began to shift my own theology and understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to truly be in relationship with God, with Christ, with Holy Spirit. Um, And so that's just a very tangible example as, okay, I'm traveling, right? I can't always find access to a church. I'm trying to find community. And so being able to wake up, start my days, breathing, being in touch with my body, checking in with God in that way is something that has radically transformed my relationship with God. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, I think, you know, one of the things uh, you've mentioned your um, trauma-informed background and some of the experience that you have with trauma-informed healing. And um, I think uh, this particular resource is really centering those who may have experienced racial trauma and 
presenting this uh, practice as a healing practice, as a restorative or a sustaining practice. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about um, your own, uh, like how how does that work biologically? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So fun fact about me is I did my undergrad and I received my bachelor's in biology. So I was I was originally on the path to become a doctor, and so I really love learning about how the body works biologically and everything like that. And then, of course, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit had other plans for me. I ended up going to <laughs> divinity school, and you know how it goes. Um, but part of the reason why I also love this work is, as your question is alluding to, there is physical, biological changes that happen in our body when we take time to pause and literally just breathe. And mm-hmm. so one of those, one example of that is the fact that we have our nervous system. And so again, the reason why this resource is is targeted towards the BIPOC community is a lot of times on a daily basis, we are experiencing stress and our nervous systems are in stress. And so we might not always be able to necessarily remove ourselves from the situation. Maybe we're at work, maybe we're on the street, but what we always have access to is our breath. And so there are two parts of our nervous system that we have. And there's one part of our nervous system that will activate the sympathetic nervous system. And so that's something that happens sometimes right when we're in fight or flight. And that will be our heart rate increases, our respiration rate increases. We may start sweating. So those are signs that we're kind of becoming activated. And then Mm -hmm. we have our parasympathetic nervous system, which allows us then to kind of calm and settle down. Our heart rate decreases, our respiration rate decreases. And so we can access those things through our breath. And you'll notice mm-hmm. there's one episode in particular that talks about this, where if you elongate your exhales, our exhales are related to that parasympathetic nervous system. A lot of times, right, you can be breathing out through your mouth or even through your nose. But if you have a longer exhale than your inhale, you're signaling to your body, hey, I am safe. I am here. Mm-hmm. I am present, right? If we bring in God, God is with me. I am here. Mm -hmm. I am safe. I am sound. Mm -hmm. I am more than enough. I am loved. I'm beloved. And as we breathe out physically what's happening in our bodies, we're signaling to our nervous system, hey, we're safe. Mm -hmm. We don't have to run. We are Mm -hmm. enough. And Mm -hmm. so that's something that is biologically happening that I love that's coming all along with the spiritual and everything else, but literally physiologically in the body, those longer exhales are activating our parasympathetic nervous system, which allows us to feel safe, feel calm, feel more centered and grounded. Mm. Even as you are explaining that now, I'm just getting chills because I feel like there is a way that you are giving us very tangible and specific things to counter the violence that people might feel yes. on a day-to-day basis unexpectedly. Yes. And yes. I feel like this resource is a gift and it's sort of like saying live, like this is a yes. gift for life. So I, I feel like you're fulfilling that same medical calling. It's just working mm. different angles. In some ways. Yes. Thank you. Um, why is it important for activists, do you think, to engage with some of these practices? Um, and I know 
your own experience from your own experience and the places where you are, but your thoughts about why this practice is helpful for activists. Yes. I think that this practice is imperative, is vital, is essential because being in the field of social justice work, honestly, just being a person of color in this world, <laughs> I yeah. feel like you're already an activist. Like literally <laughs> the fact that you're alive, you are, you are surviving and your life is uh-huh. making you uh-huh. an activist. Um, and so something, something that I've been wrestling with honestly for a while, right. Is this theology of we're in the already and not yet. Right. And so always pleading and having hope and saying, God, like, I want to see justice. I want to see equality. I want to see equity. I want to see these things. And also at the same time, I mean, when I think about Easter and the resurrection and that Holy Saturday of like, we're still living in the Holy Saturday of we are not yet at that place where everybody is loving equally, all these different things. And so because of that reality, it is inherent that we are always going to be experiencing difficulties. Mm. And so because of that, rather than necessarily losing faith about that, like still fighting and hope for, for a day in the future, you know, while also saying, I'm going to be real realistic about what I'm experiencing and not say like, Oh, I'm actually not experiencing racism. Actually we're at a place where we're not experiencing these things, but because I know that these things still exist, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do everything I can to take care of myself and my body. Because if I don't, if I act like I can actually just continue these things without recognizing that there are things that are daily impacting me, then over mm-hmm. time, I truly do believe, and I personally have experienced this myself, and I feel like a lot of activists can speak to this, the, the classic phrase of burnout, right? Mm-hmm. And so this mm-hmm. is something that is a tool, is a resource to, not, and I don't even want to use the word combat, but also because sometimes like burnout is very real. And so to give us clues and mm-hmm. signs of, mm-hmm. hey, Maybe I need to slow down because I'm starting to approach that. And so these breathing techniques to me, these embodiment practices are, are the tools to allow us to say, how am I feeling today? What does my body speak to me? Because we are human and so we are finite. And so for me, these practices are imperative because if we lead out of a place of disembodiment, that can lead to a lot of harm. We can be activated ourselves and then we're leading out of places that are not, are not grounded and that can lead to just not the most productive or not the most, um, just more difficult difficulties in actually being able to accomplish what we're hoping to accomplish. And so that's why I think these embodiment practices are just crucial in order for sustainability and also just being realistic in the world that we live in. Yes. No, I I also feel like um it's a disembodied theology. It's it's being yeah. able to uh when folks feel like they're able to separate people and not see people and not see the image of God in people, you need to do that in order to perpetuate hate and violence. And so that's I think as as you're saying as you were unpacking that for activists, I think it was also the you know, we really have to create the other in order for injustice to live. Exactly. And I think that's one of the fruits of, of going too far in a, in a disembodied uh, faith is that you can basically kind of not, not recognize 
the maiden image of Godness exactly. of the other person. Exactly. And I think it also gives you tools as you become more aware of your own embodiment. You can also understand, even if you're like leading groups of people, you can also notice wait, I'm starting to notice bodily changes and the people, and maybe we actually need to take a step back right now, or maybe there's a lot of, and maybe we need to right now, right? Like take a communal breath together to remember that we are, you know, in the image of God, like you said. And so it goes both in so many different ways. So expansive. So yes, yes, yes. (laughs) So I was sharing at a, at a, at a group once about, uh, um, how, uh, kind of this idea of embodiment and an embodied Christian faith. And um, I had a toss away comment that I had made where um, that I had said, oh, you know, it, it's uh, the women of color who are sort of leading us in this space. And then someone came up to me afterwards and she said, until you said that I didn't realize, but it was that it was true. It was all the women of color who were kind of uh, taking us deeper um, and, and really bringing leadership into this space. And I, I feel like you are one of those folks. Can you tell me why do you think it is that there is an attunement to embodiment that BIPOC women or uh, maybe BIPOC gender mi- minorities seem to have that is give, sort of fueling leadership in this space? Yes, that's such such a great and intriguing question. And What's coming to mind for me, interestingly enough, even right as I'm I'm currently abroad and I'll have conversations with individuals or even when I reflect on my my experiences as a black woman in church spaces of these experiences that whether I wanted it or not, that I am treated differently or there are different mm. expectations placed upon me. As a woman of color, as a black woman, um, like one example, and I'll, hopefully this will all tie in, is I was uh, walking around in Colombia here with a with a man who's from Spain, and he, you know, is particularly white passing. And we're having a conversation, and we had one of those classic like he was like, you know, I don't see color, blah 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 mm-hmm. blah. But then when mm-hmm. we were walking on the street, he mentioned to me, he said this is the first time that I've had so many people look at me. Oh, wow. And I was like, do you see? I was like, sir, listen, I don't want to make it about color all the time. I don't want to make it about, I am a woman of color. I'm a black woman of color. The world is looking at me. Even if I didn't, if I want to be like, I'm rainbow colored, the uh-huh. world is saying, no, you are a black woman and you uh-huh. are with a white man and we're going to treat you differently. Uh-huh. And so uh-huh. those experiences that just, happen on a higher frequency that I actually cannot ignore as much Mm. as I want to, Mm. I think have caused me to become more attuned and have caused me to say, if I want to continue like living healthily and wholly in this world, Mm -hmm. I have to figure out creative ways. I have to figure out ways to Mm -hmm. be able to, to quote unquote deal with this. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I think part of it is just inherently the way that the world has treated and seen and placed expectations and burdens on women of color that Mm. has forced us out of a place of oppression to find creativity, to experience liberation in the midst of those experiences. That is so fantastic. Nia Kapina Bakot, thank you so much. Lead on, lead on, uh, 
we're so grateful um, for the ways that you have brought healing and wholeness in the places where you are and particularly grateful for your work on, on breath and being. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Twenty Minute Takes is a production of Christians for Social Action. We're produced and edited by David DeLeon. I'm your host, Nikki Toyamasito, and the music is done by Andre Henry. You can find us on the web at christiansforsocialaction.org. Give us five stars, write a review, and share about the podcast with your friends. 